0: indications podcast myself and caroline here again and today very excited to say we're with dr jacob hardin who uh, is one of my idols in the health and fitness rehab world um, it's a pleasure to have you here very very happy and honored that you said you would come and join us oh thank you guys um, you're here you've just taught a course last weekend that i was lucky to be one of the one of the students on um but before we get to all that do you want to just introduce yourself generally to anybody who doesn't know you and just kind of your background and how you
1: ended up doing the prehab course sure so my name is jake harden or uh, i guess as a lot of people know me on social media dr jacob harden i am a chiropractor out of orlando florida over in the states and have a sports medicine practice over there and started kind of doing a social media thing putting out videos online grew a little bit of an audience with that and then started teaching on kind of my, just kind of my system, how I think. And that's prehab 101, which is the course that you took over the weekend. And we brought it out here to Dubai for the first time uh, over the, over the weekend and headed over to Kuwait next weekend. So it's been a lot of fun being able to do that. And so now I'm kind of just mixing my time between, uh, treating patients and teaching and social and being a new dad and yeah all the things that go along with all that so life. that's me yeah <laughs> life, right yeah
0: because um, one of the things that really stands out about you is your social media presence and I think you've got well over half a million followers but it's not just it's not just the content you're one of the people for me that really stand out at you're, you're obviously quite tech savvy because your stuff is very well created so there's the creative side And I was quite surprised when you said that you do it all yourself Mm -hmm. so i think that's one thing to make note
2: do you know what we we discuss this a lot because unfortunately there's a lot of people on social media that are either um, very good at the social media part but not very knowledgeable and then you have people that are very, very knowledgeable but are not on social media. So you happen to be one of the the rare few that actually has combined those two skills and really, like, pushed it out there, which is really nice to see.
1: Yeah, I think I'm just a nerd in all aspects of my <laughs> life. That's <laughs> awesome, though. No, that's yeah. what we love. <laughs> you know, like, like <laughs> it's I, I get into something, I'm like, okay, I'm going to research that. I'm going to research this, right? And I do that with healthcare. I do that with tech and cameras. Yeah. And it's just, I think it's my personality. I have to I have to be the best at everything <laughs>
2: well you've you've done very well yeah
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i mean <laughs> uh, that's I, I follow all your stuff regularly and and get involved and read the comments and see what's going on so it was great that you came over here because i remember i was looking at the course that you do in dublin where my parents are living and i was considering flying back because i didn't think you'd actually come out to a place like this to to teach people like us but uh, yeah, thankfully you did. Um, I jumped on the course. I think the Max and Eagle guys did it, so shout out to them for yeah. for putting up the they, show. That was an amazing gym. Like that—that that was one of the most beautiful facilities it's that so I've good. been in. Yeah, it's a brand new place out in Maidan. I—I I don't know if it's even got the doors open yet, but it's uh, well, uh, yeah, it is. It's a stunning, massive open space. So much possibility in there. Um, but coming back to the rehab stuff, so a lot of this stuff that you spoke about at the weekend was kind of about the psychology behind rehab, kind of how you would talk to your patients, the languages that they use, the pre- misconceptions that they might have, um, you know, their own interpretation of what maybe back pain might be, because remember we talked a lot about, like, people don't know what's going on in their back, so the injury that they get, the pain that they get, the language that people use can always be uh, misinterpreted as being more catastrophizing rather than an actual idea of what's going on.
1: Yeah, it's and so I guess the the analogy I like to use is paper cuts. So mm. when you get a paper cut, it obviously there's it hurts, da- so it hurts so bad, right? <laughs> it hurts so bad, and there's obvious damage there. But you have experience with it, and you know what's going to happen. You know mm. it's going to heal. You know if you just throw a bandaid over it, you move on with your day, and you don't worry about it, right? You just let it be but with back pain you can't see it you don't know what it is you may have had a family member that was that I had back pain and I was never the same or my back has never been the same since and I think I'm gonna need surgery for this and you hear all the stories so it's a lack of clarity Mm -hmm. like there's a lack of clarity with these other pains that whenever you don't know what it is it makes it worse than what it is Mm. and that often leads to people what we call catastrophizing their pain which is made up of three three things which is helplessness magnification and rumination so magnification making it bigger than what it is rumination you Are just always thinking about it like it's always on your mind and then helplessness. No one can like I just don't think it can get better
2: I've tried everyone. No one knows what they're doing or no one can help me. I've gone to see all of these people Yeah, I hear that stuff as well. I understand what you mean.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. and we see that when people do that they get worse outcomes They have a longer disability. They are in more pain for longer. It's one of the biggest predictive factors of pain going from an acute state to more of a chronic state and it just sticking with people so we really try and dive into that aspect of it with people to you know not everyone needs to be seeing a psychologist by any means but a little reassurance of saying you're gonna be okay goes a long way
2: i also think As well, that when you do get back pain and then you go see your doctor and then your doctor refers you to either um, an orthopedic surgeon or somebody like that, it's very easy to go down that medical machine that kind of encapsulates you and goes, "Oh, we're going to have surgery because this is this bad and this bad and this bad." So I think as well the industry itself has led to to take people on this journey and sometimes they don't understand that there are other routes to that. Is that also your experience?
1: Yeah, there's a there, there's definitely the, you know, whenever people get referred straight away over to that kind of thing, then you know, they they might go down a path of well, we need to get the image, and we need to see what the scan says. You know, and then they see the scan, and the scan shows them something, and now you have maybe something to link your pain to, whether it's actually linked to your pain or not. Um, they hang on it, you know, and we're getting it's getting better. I think it's I really think it's getting better, and that people are recommending conservative care more than uh, at least as a first line before surgery now, versus just saying we should cut. But there's definitely still like an overutilization of imaging. Uh, people feel people actually get have worse outcomes and longer disability whenever they get an image for back pain mm. versus those who don't. Really, yeah. 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 And so it's just one of those things where like when you see it, you know, you see the problem here. We see that those people are seeing their doctor more often they have higher medical costs, they're on, they have disability for longer, so their outcomes just are worse when seeing that. So now the current recommendations are to only get an image whenever you suspect that there's something very, very, very serious, a red flag, so infections, cancers, um, that fractures, those kind of things, or you really need to look at something that might have like neurological symptoms.
0: Yeah, I think um, we talked about that briefly, the kind of the the cauda Aquinas syndrome. That's one of the ones, a lot of those shooting pains, nervous system issues, that's the one to go straight for for a scan. Because I always find, and we spoke briefly again at the weekend, I always find when I get a scan, someone comes in with a report, it's, okay, they're fixated on this, we must address this. And going through it with people firstly puts them at ease that someone's addressing this you know someone is taking them through the process of okay what does this mean this is anatomical language i don't understand and for me personally i always tend to focus on more of the positives um that's all right don't we um do you need to get that?
1: No. Okay. It's <laughs> most likely an advertisement. That I, <laughs> I, sh- I should go turn it on silent. No, it's all right. It's okay.
0: For anybody listening, the, the mics won't pick that up. Does it phone ringing that's over It's okay. There. You can cut it all out. Yeah, <laughs> we I'll can try. talk rubbish. It'll it. be fine. Um, so, what were we talking about? I can't remember. Um, oh, going through the scan. I, I, like mm. I, I'll sit and go, okay, so this is what's happening. This is what I've been told. So let's focus on all of the positives. Let's go through the the 12 positive things that there's no joint diffusion, there's no problem here, the structure looks good. Okay, we've got this one thing here, but we'll we'll fix that, we'll look at that, we'll address that, we'll see how you move. And it it, it tends to put people at ease just by addressing their concerns, you know? And you can't change the, the scans. You can't change what it is mm. by words, but
2: but it can definitely change how you think about yourself. Like, I'll give you an example. Recently, I had my spine and my pelvis uh, scanned, and I was told I needed to go have surgery again. That I had non-union in my pelvis and non-union in my spine. And then all of my friends and family around me was like, "You can't do this. You can't walk. You can't run. You shouldn't be doing this." And I was like, "Hmm, I've been like this for three years. Like, I'm fine." just gonna keep doing it but the thing is is you do have these moments when you get those scans and you look at everything and you're like oh shit maybe i shouldn't like maybe i shouldn't do anything maybe like that's why it hasn't healed or maybe i should just be in bed um so it it really takes like a change in mindset and to be quite strong in your mind to be able to go well actually no uh i need to do the opposite of what everyone's recommending right maybe
1: you have to work within your own capabilities
2: Mm, very well said though (laughs)
1: like you have to work within your own capabilities and if the last three years have shown you that your capabilities are that you can do this Mm. and nothing takes a year to just come on like what what disease what musculoskeletal disease just just comes on like that Mm. that would kind of negate the whole adaptive process of the body so your body's kind of figured out a way to, to function yeah, my you body's know, doing well. She's <laughs> doing pretty well. Yeah. So, if now it, maybe that non union, all that stuff means that you have to be a little bit more cautious with mm. how quickly you increase your activity mm. over if it was all everything looked perfect. And that's kind of how I view scans mm. to people too. It's like, you know, yeah, this is here. Sure. It, we acknowledge it. It's real. And so, maybe that means you need to be a Bit more cautious with how quickly we increase our activity levels over someone who had a perfect picture, mm. you know. So, but it doesn't mean that you just should stop. just lay up and yeah. die, right? Like just stop. <laughs> no, that's not the option. So, um,
2: so I'm interested just to interject there because I had a thought. I'm interested to hear your whole take on rehab and how you view that whole process and how you you go through that with people.
1: Well, I try and. I try and keep it fairly simple um, in the general framework. So I recognize that the body is incredibly complex and pain is incredibly complex. And I in no way can probably account for all the different multitudes of factors that are going on in something as complex as the human body. So I think it kind of necessitates more of a simplistic approach to what you're doing. So what the way I view everything is you have a certain level of function right now, okay? You have a certain level of function that you need or want to have over here. What do we need to do to move from point A to point B? Okay, so if that's we need to restore some range of motion for you, or maybe you need to be a bit stronger, maybe you need uh, to change your mindset towards how you're feeling, or we just need to calm something down. We try and get into what's the next blockage? what's the next wall that we need to climb? what's the next hurdle we need to jump over to get to the next step? and then we're just going to keep taking those steps one at a time until you're eventually over here. and to me that's kind of what rehab is. it's just a it's just a preparation process. just the same as fitness and training mm-hmm. and all that is a preparation process. so if somebody say has a running injury, then you know, do we need to necessarily have them stop running and just do a bunch of clamshells and glute work or whatever. Some people may be, yes, other people might just need to back their running down to a tolerable level mm-hmm. and then say, okay, now run here because it's the same. Cause this level is what you can currently do and will gradually bump your thresholds up in order to get you back to where you want to go. Um, Not everything is caused by weakness, tightness, whatever, you know, sometimes it's just things are sensitive and we need to calm it down and then build it back up off the base.
2: When you say calm it down, are you referring to the nervous system?
1: Yeah, calm down, yeah, basically. Mm -hmm. So when we look at pain, it's much more likely, or a better description of pain is not necessarily that it's an indicator of damage within the body. Sometimes it is, but that it's more of a perception of threat coming from the body so think about how you feel fatigued after a workout fatigue is a negative subjective sensation so if you never felt fatigued you could just literally stress your body for days on end and you know run your like run every tissue in your body into the ground but the fact that you feel fatigued makes you stop it's protective mm-hmm. right so your fatigue levels are protective of you pain is is along that same, you know, kind of line, it's meant to kind of be protective of you.
2: So it's like, it's looking after you. (laughs) Yeah. Listen to your body is a good
1: thing to do.
0: (laughs) I think if if instructors and trainers firstly, but also the population as a whole, if if we can get a better understanding of pain, it's going to make people's anxiety towards pain much less, and then it's gonna, I think, shorten the time. This is purely just my own opinion. But if you, I've always found, if I can explain to somebody what pain is, and that it's a difference between the structural damage and the nervous system sending info to the brain, and the brain saying, all right, we're not happy with that, we're gonna make this area hurt. If people understand that's like sitting at a desk all day at, for eight hours, they've not suddenly just gone and popped their back, or they have not suddenly just gone and just spasmed up their spine, It's just the body's not been able to receive the info from that. The brain's not been able to receive the info from that area of the body accurately enough to to reassure itself that there's no threat. So it begins to manifest this little bit of a dull ache. And then that feeds into their mental memory bank of what happened when I've hurt my back two years ago. Is this going to happen again? Anxiety goes up, stress goes up, and then
1: that pain becomes a little bit worse. Yeah, everything goes into that. So... You know, if you're sitting at your desk for eight hours straight and you never move, you're likely going to feel an ache. Like we can all pretty, we've all taken a plane, a long plane flight and felt not so hot yeah. at the end of it. Right. So, but the thing is like, if you, if you sat up perfectly straight, shoulders back and everything, like, and tried to be perfectly still for eight hours straight. Yeah. You're still going to hurt. Yeah. Right. So it doesn't even necessarily mean that it's threatening. It just means that it's trying to tell you something and it might yeah. just be like, Hey, move. Like, yeah, get up wake up mm-hmm. yeah. like do something right um and this is where it's just like variability is better than stagnation right and just trying to move and keep yourself comfortable and just be a little bit you know um be a little bit different in how you're moving here and there like that helps yeah i think one of the things
0: you said as well the, the slouching position is it's not a position to be avoided it's already. a resting position yeah so you can adopt a slouching position and not have to
1: worry about your back breaking. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and so I, I bring that up in the courses typically because I see a lot of athletes and my athletes, they've read about posture and everything. And they're always like, they're always trying to sit up super nice and tall because you know, they want to maximize their efficiency as much as possible. And I talk about it in that, This is a very active position. You must be engaging a lot of musculature in order to hold this position. When you sit up straight, When you sit up straight, right? You can just feel your back Mm. working, right? And so the common thought is, oh, well, like you need your muscles active. You need your muscles active. And like, well, would you work out all day? Would you wanna be active all day and never rest? Mm. Like we, we should value rest. Like there's a reason your body goes just Here. Sleep. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason your body goes to sleep. There's a reason you sit down. There's a reason you want to get off your feet. There's a reason you slouch. It's rest. Mm-hmm. Right. And just as we should be prioritizing activity, we should be prioritizing rest. So if we have that person who is sitting for three hours straight or an eight hour work day and then doesn't work out at all. And they never go for a walk. They come home and they lay on their couch and then they go to sleep and then they get up and they sit in their car and they're just literally doing that day in, day out. Maybe we should promote more activity. Maybe we should promote sitting up straight a little bit more, you know, versus the person who's just active, 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 active. You know, maybe we should be promoting a little bit more rest and just say, Hey, chill out. Like if you're sitting up straight all day, please slouch. If you're slouching all day, please sit up.
2: I was going to say to you, I remember the... we, We talked about this briefly, That some of the studies about athletes and recovery. And just by increasing their sleep... To say from six to eight hours the improvements that they they get in their performance Um, and then again showing how important it is to have recovery days and to have ample sleep um, in terms of having a multifaceted human that also is doing activity and rest and recovery
1: right more is not better more is only better whenever you can recover from more right so we see to tell her that sometimes That's so true. (laughs) Like typically you look at it and like more training leads to more results. More uh more weight leads to more results. More yada 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 leads to more results. But only if the system has the recovery capabilities to withstand it. So when we look at exercise, there's a dose response effect to where at some point it it's going up, it's going up, it's going up, but then at some point it starts to kind of tail off. You're not getting as much result as the work you're putting in, or eventually you might getting, you're getting less of a result versus you get more if you just did less work because now you're literally fighting your body's own recovery and you're like digging yourself into a hole to where it's, it's doing more harm than good. So our goal is to get the most result, right? The, or the most result in the most efficient way, not just do more. Hmm.
0: And do you think this day is the right time to recommend someone couch day, do nothing, put your feet up, put Netflix on, start episode one and go for it, do nothing till tomorrow? Oh, heck yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think there is. There's a lot of value in stillness, right? right. Um, and it, so I'm all about individuality. You have to look at the person you're talking to, the person you're working with to where let's say let's say you and you're very very active Uh (laughs) yeah right so i'm getting that vibe right (laughs) then you're probably that person that having that day off your feet is probably Mm. a good thing
2: yeah i do i do watch like a whole series on netflix yeah (laughs) that's
0: the day after you've just climbed a mountain and you're in pain (laughs) that's not the day after like you've you've got your minimum dose just right and your maximum dose just under and you've gone I will do the sensible thing and sit.
2: Yeah. I look, I know I'm a little bit crazy. I like to push my boundaries. I like to know where they are and, and they're when way I,
1: back there behind you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when
2: I get there then then I know. Like But
1: there's nothing wrong with that either.
2: Yeah, so I have a very different philosophy and I don't recommend other people ever listen to me at all but I don't like to take any painkillers or anything like that and I vowed never to do that once I left hospital and I do that because I understand where my limitations are and then when I get there I can like mentally measure oh okay, well last time I did this I could only run 3Ks and after 3Ks I got into a lot of pain so then I teeter at 3Ks for a while and then I try you know, five and then I'm like, oh no, that was way too much. But So I like to explore those boundaries and then constantly push them, yeah. but that's just me.
0: But you have the advantage of like, you have an education in this, you have a foundation and you know your body, you know your systems, you know your pathways, you know the nervous system. For people who don't know these things, they're shooting into the dark way more than than you are you know when you're starting those exercises
2: yeah and this is why it's so important to listen to people like you and (laughs) and your experience of of rehab
1: (laughs) well i think you can do that because one you're not afraid of pain Mm. and i think that you're you accept that like i've like just talking to you like you have that Mm -hmm. mindset of okay, that's there. That is my boundary. I get that. Mm. I accept that. And I'm, I'm obviously just not ready for that quite yet. So I'm going to teeter back here a little bit and then we'll try again, Yeah, you know, (laughs) versus some people would see that and they run into that pain because they went and they jumped their activity level so much. And then they'd be like, Whoa, what the heck's wrong with me? Mm. You know, and they might be a little bit more afraid of that, that feeling that they got. Mm. Right. And it's just, um, it, so you have to look at the person that, you know, that's doing this. And that's why I say, I think it's okay for you to kind of push those boundaries and see where they're at. I think yeah. that's probably better to go from, you know, three, three to three and a half to four to four and a half to five versus three to five. <laughs> um, that's, or three to 18. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's probably a better idea. Um, and it's what I would recommend. Uh, <laughs> On record. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the best recommendation right there. Uh-oh. But. Yeah, but if you are that person i think sometimes like i was telling you i think on the way in was sometimes you have to see the limit to know where the boundary is so sometimes you have to kind of get there and you have to experience it and you need to say okay there it is Mm. i get it there it is but you have to have the personality type to say yep there it is okay and it's just i'm here it just is what it is and you just nonchalantly let it go versus hanging on that and saying, well, why can't I do that yet? I should be able to do that yet. I'm like, I'm supposed to be here right now, you know, and now I feel worse about myself and now I feel more broken than I ever did before. You say, Nope, that's just my next goal. Mm. There I am. You know, and that type of person can push their boundary, see it back away from it. If they're not quite ready for it yet and then begin the journey towards it. Mm. But that's how you have to approach that.
0: And that's that recovery mindset, isn't it? Where you can accept where you are. Right. As opposed to the injury mindset, where you experience that negative experience, and that's suddenly your new doom and gloom, and you just you can't you can't beat
1: that. Yeah,
2: maybe uh, before when we were off air, you were talking about about that mindset and the differences, and I think you mentioned a story that you had.
1: Yeah, so injury and recovery mindset is something that I kind of just termed to kind of think about how I just see what all this whole psychological side of rehab is really coming down to and so an injury mindset to me is that you're focused completely on all the things that you can't do like woe is me this is what I can't do I'm so broken why can't I do this you're always focused on your pain you're always focused on your injury and it never lets you move forward right it's like why am I so injured a recovery mindset on the flip side of that is an acceptance of where you are and say this is my starting point. Here it is. I know I can't do everything I want to do right now, but I'm going to, but look at what all the things I can do still. Like, so, and I'll do that with my patients is that I will have them make a list of all the things they can't do right now due to their injury, but all the things they can do as well. And then we look at it and we're like, look at how much longer that, that second list is. And it just kind of like makes that switch of, wow, you know what? Like, I'm not as broken as I thought I was, Mm -hmm. right? And so then you're a little bit more apt to start pushing forward and say, all right, I can still do all this. I'm going to do all this, and I'm just going to start taking my next step forward. So it is an acknowledgement of your injury. It's an acknowledgement of I'm not 100% right now, but I'm not going to let that cripple me. I'm not going to let that paralyze me. I'm going to move forward off of this because what is my other option? Like what's the other option other than try and get better. Right. And that's, that's really what it's all about is are we promoting something that fixates people on all the things that are wrong with them? Are we fixating on all the things that are good about you, kind of like you do with your, you know, reading reports, there's Mm -hmm. all these good things, right? Oh yeah, here's this thing. And, and we're going to work. We're going to work towards that. We're going to work on that, right? That is what we're trying to promote here. Is here's all the positives, right? Not uh, you got flat feet and you have an internally rotated knee and your your posture sucks and all this must be the reason that you have pain, right? Except probably not. You know, it's probably that you've lived with this body for a long time. Maybe you just increased your activity a little bit faster than you should have. Things hurt a little bit right now and we need to maybe maybe you need to be a little stronger maybe you need to you know work a little work a little bit on it but you're going to be able to still live in the body that you have and do all the things you want to do yeah. How do we get there
0: yeah it's it is so important isn't it? the mindset like um from from your experience have you seen people who you may not have expected to recover recover because of powerful mindset or the flip side have you seen it the other way I've seen both. Yeah.
1: Um, I go into every patient encounter expecting everyone to recover. Like, that's, I have to, I have to have that. Um, If I go into it expecting someone to not get better, then, like, who am I to be helping you? Right? Like, that's, that's how I feel. So, I'm always going into it thinking you have the ability to do this you can Mm. do this
2: and the and you know what what's so powerful about what you just said just then is that they do they really do they have the power to do that and they can totally heal like their body has all of the right mechanisms and the tools and the processes and you know so much more to be able to to actually fix that and heal themselves they just need some guidance sometimes
1: yeah. I mean, and I don't and I don't want to sit here and say like, "Oh, you can think your pain away." Mm-hmm. Like that's not that's not always how it works. Like, that's you know. That's
2: true, but there is some powerful powerful, powerful a, literature a there. There's definitely a
1: powerful It's Particular, definitely a powerful way to go about it. Like, yeah. you know, you can you know, if you can think your way into knee pain. You're not going to think your way into tearing your ACL. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. so there's definitely effects and then there's a limitation probably to that, but you're going to be much better off taking that positivity approach to it and so i've i've seen it both ways i've seen people that are just super super positive towards everything and they're feeling better in two weeks like they're just I'm, all of a sudden they're just feeling great i've seen people that you know they don't feel um, they don't feel you know 100 percent healed coming out of their first session with me but they feel better coming out of that session not because we did anything special to try and reduce their pain Uh, you know we didn't put a heat pack on them we didn't put them on stem or anything like that but we provided them clarity that said hey guess what there's like you're doing great because we got no infections here nothing's fractured you don't have cancer like things hurt a little bit and we're going to be able to give you some exercises to start working forward and it's like oh wow I have like, I have a path Mm. I have, a I have something to like go for here because you know, when you go to your doctor, you don't go to your doctor to walk out of the office feeling better. You actually don't. You go to your doctor to get your prescription and get clarity on what you have going on. You go there to figure out what it is, make sure it's nothing super bad, then get your prescription Mm -hmm. so that you can begin the process of healing. And that's what we do in rehab too. So I've adopted that kind of same mindset towards things and that same approach in that we're there to provide you with clarity on this is what's going on, this is what's not going on, which is huge too, to just remove a lot of that because pain's scary, right? It's supposed to be scary. You know, it's it, well. That's it wakes a you operative. Up. That's <laughs> an
2: operative word, though. It's supposed to be scary. Like yeah. it doesn't always have to be. And I think the more you understand it, and the more you can understand the process of it, I think the less daunting mm. it can become. Right. It's yeah, interesting.
1: Right. So as a lot of my patients walk out the door, let's say they're on it. You know, we measure their pain on a zero to ten scale. So you know, if they come in at, at a six. Maybe they walk out at a four simply because they had clarity on what their condition was, mm-hmm. right? So maybe they're just processing it a bit differently, thinking about it a bit differently, and they're like, oh, "Like you see it, just this what just a yeah, change. drop the weight <clears> on <throat> the shoulders." Yeah,
2: it's a change.
1: So I've seen that. I see that a lot because that's what I actively try and push, and I talk to my patients a lot. I've also seen the other side of things where I can't get through to everybody, you know, and I can't help somebody because. You know, maybe I wasn't skilled enough in what they had going on, or maybe they needed more help from a psychological professional. um, And my skill set just wasn't there for that person. And they were so fixated on the injury, and they were so fixated on the pain and all the things they couldn't do. And anytime they felt an ache, they felt like it was a setback. Anytime they felt some pain, they felt like they did something wrong or they broke themselves further. And there was like, just yeah, I, I just I, it's never gonna get better it just won't mm-hmm. I've and seen that <coughs> and they don't get and then they didn't get better
0: yeah I've, I've had a, a very s-
1: exactly
0: the same experience plenty of times but one lady in particular I remember she was a runner an endurance runner and she used to run like 15 20k in her training Sh- she was the coach of the r- local running club and when she would come to the gym she would continuously tell me what her doctor told her she couldn't do with her knee and that is to flex it beyond a certain degree and she wouldn't sh- she wanted to do a bunch of stuff like a bosu thing but she wouldn't jump onto the bosu cuz you know she was like no nah, that that will hurt my knee and i was like okay well you understand that when you run 15 20k pain free you're putting way more force through the tissues than than just from here to here and she's like no nah, th- that will make my knee grumbly and i was like okay fine so what do you mean grumbly and she's like oh my knee will grumble And i was like okay what does grumble mean because like i just i don't know that word i didn't want to embarrass her but i was like i don't just well what does it mean and she just she got stifled on her own language and she had to really think she's like my knee wouldn't wouldn't like that it's okay okay we won't do it we'll do something else and then one of the other days we were doing an upper body session and i had her in a you know when you put like a band from the pull-up bar Mm -hmm. and she gets into the band she did a bunch of pull-ups with her legs straight her foot in the band and then all of a sudden, she kind of lost her center of, of balance and her knee, her foot stayed in the elastic, but her knee shot up. And her knee, if anyone knows, not, like you're hanging and mm-hmm. your, her knee was all the way up at her chest. Yeah. And her foot was caught in the stirrup of the band. And I walked over to her to help her and I was like, look at your knee. And she's like, what? And I was like, look how much your knee is bent. I was like, is that hurting? She's like, no. And she's also like, get me down, get me down. Yeah. But I was like, look, th- that's great, isn't it? Look, your knee's not hurt." And I, I, I made her pause and I d- kind of consciously let her stay there for a little bit longer than i maybe should have but i knew she wasn't going to fall because i wanted her just to see your knee is okay like your knee it it is allowed bend if you just if you let it bend if you just let it get there but i felt like because she was in charge of the running club she wasn't quite where she used to be in her professional in her in her athletic career she was holding on to this because this gave her a reason almost to not be the, the coach who mm. was winning the races or who's See, doing
2: this is what we discussed before about sometimes being attached yeah. to like to your own limitations and then using that as oh okay like i'm injured i can't do this and that's the reason why you don't move forward or yeah. the reason that you don't progress as opposed to making it the reason that you do yeah. does that make sense yeah
0: yeah for sure and that there was there was ways where i had to almost not tricker, but it, i'm sure you might have come across this before where you have someone who, who complains of back pain or knee pain and they can't do a squat I like, okay just have a seat there for me and they sit down and you're like gotcha and they're like what and I'm like, look you just did and like what and like you just went from there to there whereas a second ago, you couldn't squat so they're like okay did I was that did I I did do
1: that didn't I okay yeah we call that reconceptualizing the movement yeah so we use that with chronic pain patients a lot because in chronic pain you actually have neurological changes that happen to where rather than say an acute injury, you have signals coming up from the tissues to the brain processed pain output. So in more of a chronic situation, you don't necessarily have to have those nociceptive signals coming from the tissues anymore to feel pain. It is what we call more of a top down approach to where movements can actually get linked to the pain sensation. So flexing your back, chronic back pain right just bending over and picking something up touching my toes anytime i I would flex my back you know i would feel back pain so we can kind of reconceptualize that so say somebody has like chronic shoulder pain and they can't raise their arm up without it hurting you have them put their hand on a doorway and then say okay keep your hand there but i want you to lunge and so their their arm naturally goes overhead but they Mm -hmm. did it via doing a lunge, mm-hmm. right? So they didn't actually raise their arm up. It just happened. And then you kind of say, okay, let's, let's do that a bunch of times. And you like point it out to them. You let them know what's happening. Like, look what you can do. Yeah. Look what you can do. Or, okay, just how about instead of squatting, we just sit to a chair and stand back up. Right. And you have them do it a few times and make sure that they're like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm fine with that. Why, why, why shouldn't I be fine with that? And like, cause that's a squat. Yeah. That's just a short shorter range of motion. this is the value of progression right so rather than just thinking oh you have to squat right so a squat just means like obviously my hips have to go below my knees and i have to be holding a weight or something it's like no maybe it's just you sit down to a chair and stand back up a few times and that's the it's doing the same general thing but guess what now you have a next baby step which is sit a little further down or hold a little weight, hold a little five pound weight with you Mm -hmm. as you do that, or hold a book at home. You know, it's like, now you're offering the path, right? Yeah. And it starts with just showing them what is the, where was the starting point? I think the getting started is the hardest part for most people.
0: Yeah, I find what works very well for people who squat, they believe they cannot squat, they can't move down, what will they ever be able to do, get them that, kind of biomechanical difference where they go into a TRX lean back and then squat and suddenly they've looked at their knee in front of their own eyes bend all the way down and they're like what how has that happened I was like well we've just we've changed a few things but like like trust we can we can put some force through this knee you're not stuck you haven't completely lost the use of the knee and then for me that gets their trust almost a little bit more and a little bit more little things like that uh, that they begin to build a trust so then they begin to let go and then they begin to just go with me on a few, okay, let's just try a lunge. And I want you just to stop at the depth that you feel the pain. Whereas the first couple of lunges when the assessment it's like, nah, it's, it's right there at the top. Whereas now they're willing to just go a little bit lower and a little bit lower and you can begin to work into people's
2: ranges that way. I'm um, sorry to interrupt you. I just had a question. I wanted to know, do you think that the hardest place for the, the is, uh, sorry, let me say that again. The hardest thing for people is the start because they don't know the path and they don't understand and they lack clarity or are there other facets of that that make it difficult for people to, to find that?
1: Um, i probably a mix of both things. It's probably a mix of factors in that. I think a lot of people just don't know where the path is. So, whether that is believing that they shouldn't do something they've been told they just shouldn't do something and they've never been told like how to modify the variables around let's say an exercise so you know all they know is this exercise is bad for me right this is bad for my knee and it's a very black and white view of everything, and they maybe weren't told that, well, you could modify the sets, the reps, the weight you're using, the technique you're using, the speed you're moving at, the range of motion you go through, and all of this literally changes the load that we're placing on that knee. And having a black and white viewpoint of saying, this is bad, is kind of worthless, honestly, without some sort of baseline measure of what you could handle in the first place so finding that just that first thing they can do is very powerful
2: like sitting down on a chair standing up yeah
1: yeah um and i've taken people to you know let's say that they can't even sit down to the chair and we have them just hip hinge back to a wall right the so like the hip hinge back to the wall gives you a little bit of knee bend but it's the same starting motion of the squat right so then we can say all right that's where we're starting and we're just going to start right there and then we'll maybe sit back to the wall and slide down a little bit right and it's just like okay how many I mean how many steps in between am I going to have to take I'm going to take whatever I have to Um, but just figuring that out is the hardest part and I think a lot of people have just been told this is it this is what you can't do so don't do that
2: Mm, that's really true a lot of people are told that
1: yeah do you think labels need to be
0: reconsidered we spoke on the course about shoulder impingements and how you tell somebody got a shoulder impingement they become fixate on that new diagnosis
1: right so if we're going to apply i I don't like labels in general because i think people just naturally like fixate on labels i mean we see this in all facets of life, not just pain. We see it like professionally and everything, you know, people like titles. So if you know, you're know you diagnosed with impingement, especially, this is a big one because the understanding behind it is that there's the tendon is getting caught on the bone or something's getting caught on the bone in here. So if you have this thought that the something's caught on the bone, then the only real thing that makes sense would be okay well I probably should get rid of the bone like something that needs to change yet that's not what's going on because your shoulder impinges every time you bring your arm up that's normal movement and we have made pathology out of normalcy for a long time and so if we change the label or if we obliterate the label Mm -hmm. um, and we just tell people you know this is functionally what you can't do right now and but here's what we're going to do about that then I think you give a lot more clarity to things um, even though people really like their diagnosis like they want that diagnosis but like so we were talking about um, yeah last year was kind of the year that shoulder impingement kind of got blown out of the water because two studies came out that looked at subacromial decompression surgery versus placebo. Mm-hmm. So they took the uh they took two groups, one got the decompression, the other just got uh arthroscopy. So they just put them all the same stuff, put the scope in, pulled the scope out and then said, "Oh yeah, surgery went great." Mm. They got the same results.
2: Yeah, do you know what <laughs> actually this uh, we've spoken about this a lot. Because this book blew my mind. Uh, Joe Dispenza, Evolve Your Brain, and then there you are the placebo. So a friend of mine bought it for me, gave it to me, and my husband read it to me in the hospital. And that book just made me change the way that I thought about things. Because And there were examples of exactly what you just spoke about but in different scenarios with cancer patients and then with terminally ill patients and with knee surgery giving people you know pretend surgeries cutting them open and not really doing anything stitching them back up and uh really having exactly the same results um beneficial results because these people thought that they had had surgery which again kind of goes to show how powerful your mind is in that whole process Like
1: so I asked I asked a question. It's the question I opened uh, day two of the course with which he knows what's the difference between disease and illness okay.
2: oh, I don't know. Can I shake? Can you tell <laughs> yeah. me that, so? so
1: disease is a pathological process mm-hmm. It has a known cause a known effect illness is the subjective state of being unwell Okay, hmm. so Are we treating disease? Or are we treating illness more often than not? We're trying to treat the illness for the person now sometimes you must treat the disease in order to treat the illness. Okay? And Can
2: you give me an example of this so I can understand yeah. it a little bit better? So,
1: yeah, um so let's say that you have let's just say that you have some sort of bacterial infection. Mm-hmm. That's the disease, right? You can be much more ill, like you can feel a lot worse than just what the infection is causing. Okay? So bedside manner is not necessarily treating disease, mm-hmm. but, it tr- but it makes you feel better to have that doctor there who cares. Okay, mm-hmm. it, makes the, it makes you feel better to have that warm, attentive team who comes and checks on you. Mm-hmm. That's all treating the illness, not necessarily affecting the disease, okay? Because that's what you need your medications for, and you're gonna need to treat the disease in order to fully heal the illness in this case. But in some cases, you wouldn't need to. So let's take the example of disc bulges or disc herniations. You are more so in the minority if you don't have a disc bulge in your back. Like it's that common. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people see these things on their MRIs or their scans and they're said like, that's your pathology, okay? That's your disease, okay? And I'll use the word pathology here so they link that then to the back pain and it's this they try and and they're often made a one to one ratio my pathology is the cause of all of my pain okay and i must get rid of this in order to fix this yet it's not how it works because let's say we're all probably in our 30s 40 mm-hmm. percent of us have disc bulges in our back mm. and have no pain or limitation. Okay. 40% of us in the asymptomatic population have that, that same pathology. That doesn't need to change in order for you to be well again. What needs to happen is you need to figure out your starting point and move forward off of that. And whether, and that, what it really brings into question is does that pathology play into your pain at all? We don't know right um maybe it plays into it a little bit maybe it plays into it n- like not at all maybe there was nothing about that and it's just completely incidental that we saw it mm-hmm. so th- we just need to not make these one to one like uh relationships so my pain is
2: because of my disc bulge
1: right yeah right so <laughs> think of it this way do we would say that this about ten percent of the world's population is left-handed. Okay, so they're definitely they're abnormal. They're the weird ones. Okay, us righties we're we're the normal ones over here. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's, there's six people in my family. Three are left-handed and
0: three are right-handed. Really? Yeah. So I got weirdos. In my so family. yeah, you got weirdos in your family. My sister's left-handed. So I'm so. right-handed, so I'm normal. Yeah.
1: So what are you? Right-handed. Right. Right. Yeah. right? So. So you know. We wouldn't say that. Oh well, you you have shoulder pain or you have tennis elbow. Oh, it's because you're left-handed. You're so because that's your that's your abnormality. We don't say that, but it that's actually a much more common abnormality to be left-handed than it is to have disc bulge in your back.
2: Oh wow. Okay.
1: Right. But yeah. we don't make the association of well because you're left-handed is why you have shoulder pain or because you're left-handed is why you have okay so
2: i have a question then then what is the manifestation of pain for a lot of people if it's not a particular injury so say we scanned someone's entire body say we scanned keith and we found like 50 things wrong with him which we probably would yeah so we'd find a disc bulge we'd (laughs) find something else we'd find shoulder impingement and he only had pain in one area what why
1: I don't know. Are there any suspicions? Well, I mean, there's a lot of suspicions and there's a lot of potential reasons. That's why we have to, we call it a multifactorial process. So what are
2: some of of the other facets that might lead to to that? So so
1: we call this the biopsychosocial approach. So biology, psychology, and then the social components, because they all play into everything and they all have interrelationships between each other and to how they're going to affect someone's pain. So from a biological perspective, one of the biggest things you might look for is a change in activity level. Did he do something different because he's had this, let's say he's had this body. He had this body yesterday and he had no pain yet. Same body today. And he has the pain. What changed? So if we're going to link it to say the disc bulge, we need to say, all right, that disc bulge wasn't there yesterday. It's here today. Mm-hmm. Okay. Otherwise it can't be the sole cause of the pain not on its own right so what did he do differently did he go out and he did he run a marathon yesterday did he hit a pr in the gym yesterday did he up his training volume something crazy was he in a car accident yesterday like what changed between point a point b that maybe like set this in Mm -hmm. maybe we don't know okay but that's might be the first thing we might look for Um, what if nothing changed and that happens yeah that happens Um, or typically something will, but sometimes things can be a little cumulative. Um, we might look back to more of a, I would say just, I'm not gonna say like, it's, oh, it built up over a year or something like that. You know, like we might look back a few weeks or something and say like, what happened there? but Oh,
2: sorry to interrupt yeah. you if if it wasn't the biological aspect could you then look at the others exactly so that's
1: okay. so then we have to kind of think about okay well has your work hours increased are you more stressed lately you know have did you have a fight with your significant other mm-hmm. did have your kids not been sleeping like have you been staying up late like all these things start to go into it too of that's the psychological side of things sure right did you, and sometimes, you know, you feel stuff randomly. Like you just, you wake up one day, your knee kind of aches whenever you go for a walk. Yeah. Like I had that last night, like my outer side of my left ankle <laughs> was just like achy when I went and, when I got into bed last night. Um, and cause I get the same thing and I'm always like,
0: Phew. like I didn't mention this, but I'm on, on the Saturday on the course at some point in the middle of the afternoon, my back started to just like before we done the, the practice of my back started to ache and I was like. What is this? And I've found in my, like, when I was a post-grad student, I was trying to analyze everything. I was like, hey, maybe what if I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. Now I'm just like, damn it. Just gonna, <laughs> this is going to be painful for a day. Yeah. And I just have to wake up tomorrow and hope, hope it's gone.
1: And sometimes, you know, you just move it around. You're like, I wonder if I can move that around and see if it'll just kind of lessen or whatever. You know, and maybe yeah. it doesn't, maybe it doesn't. But sometimes stuff just comes on randomly. Yeah. Like, so for my ankle, it's probably because I went and I walked like 7,000 steps in flip-flops yesterday which yeah. i mean i normally walk ten thousand steps a day but i'm normally doing it like in my Metcons. i'm not usually in flip-flops so it's like a change in shoe
2: and you're also in a changing and I'm a change of environment mm-hmm. and
1: yeah i'm it's my like my circadian rhythms are just completely flipped <laughs> yeah. because i'm 15 hours ahead <laughs> over here um so like these are different factors that might play into it and i just got done teaching uh you know teaching yeah. for 16 hours and Yo, yada 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 we start to like line all these things up and say yeah all that might have been a part of your onset might have been a part of your onset because we can't say for sure what it was mm-hmm. but we start to kind of develop the story about what everything that could have possibly so that's the
2: psychological component just to mm-hmm. clarify for people there's the biological the and then that's and the then psychological and what was the last social one? okay
1: um so social is an interesting one in that you know, social comes into like your relationships. Okay. So like I said, like maybe you had a fight with your wife, maybe a fight with your husband, maybe you, maybe your kids weren't sleeping. Maybe you just, your boss is a dick, you know, it's just like totally stressing you out. So you see that interaction of like this social relationship led to a psychological Mm -hmm. thing, which then made me more stressed out and then manifested something biological over here. You know, sometimes it's whenever you're already feeling pain and you don't feel like you have any social support Around you and you feel like so like whenever all your family's saying no, don't do that. You can't do that You can't do that. You know, that's the social mm. side of this because you almost feel alone you're Like am I doing this on my own? Am I having to go through this to get like I No one gets it. I have to I don't have anyone I can talk to about this because no one understands what I'm trying to go through and and one thing that i think goes into the social side of things too is social media mm-hmm. these days well, what have you read what have you yeah. what what video did you watch recently maybe you just watched a video on how like on how like your pelvic tilt causes your back pain or how sitting's bad for you maybe you heard sitting is the new smoking which is a phrase that gets thrown around way too often now but then you have a desk job And you're using that to provide for your family and you can't get up because you don't get the option to take frequent breaks and you can't take a walk during lunch. So you have to sit. But now you're thinking, you know what that like, what's that doing to my back?
2: Yeah. Sitting is new smoking. Like I'm I'm doing this. So now we have a
1: biological of physical stagnation of I'm not I can't move around. Right. So we might just like we talked about earlier, we might get that signal of like, hey, move, please. It's a lakey. But then you have the social side of what have you read? What have you seen? What have you heard? Then that plays into your psychological side of what's going on. Why do I feel what I feel? So once you feel that kind of initial ache, maybe you think of it much more than what you thought it was, than what it actually is. Mm -hmm. So rather than just seeing it as a signal of, hey, maybe I should get up and go for a walk. You're thinking, oh, is that my, like, what? I I heard something about like how your discs don't like sitting and how it's too much pressure on them and how that leads to Problems over time. I think that's finally catching up to me, you know, and then you start googling more Yeah, and then you start running into more stuff Then you order a scan then you start then you actually see because Mm -hmm. you're 50 and so 60% of people at 50 have disc bulges and so you see one and you're like there it was, I knew it the whole time. Google mm-hmm. was right. Yeah.
2: And that's when we start to link. Ooh, yeah. And
1: okay. so we so started going through this multitude of things that actually started mm-hmm. the cascade into, we linked it to this one thing that may not even have like any relevance.
0: Yeah. I think just a very quick story on that. When you were sick, she was away in the summer, and came back with whooping cough. Okay, she told me on the phone I got whooping cough. And My initial thought was I thought like whooping cough went out with like the plague. Like I thought (laughs) it was I thought it was like like smallpox. So as we're talking, I googled just what whooping cough. (laughs) As soon as I read, we just spent that morning together Mm. doing in a meeting, and I just uh, read the first sentence. Highly contagious. (laughs) I instantly felt sick. (laughs) I was and I was like whoa. I feel sick now, like <laughs> like eight seconds ago, I was hundred percent fine, that. and now I feel sick like, you're a terrible person, you got him sick. you, play, feel, you made him psychologically <laughs> sick you, you, yeah you, 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 your brain screwed me like I was five mm. percent more sick, having read a, three or four words on Google, and I was like that's powerful you know that's like to, to be influenced that quickly, to have such an intrinsic feeling of unwellness, having read a, the words highly contagious, I was like. <gasps> And then I was like, I yeah. had to have a word of myself. I was like, you're not sick.
2: Yeah. Do you know, again, just to like reiterate, it just goes to show how powerful our mind is. Yeah. And then how you really need to be careful what you feed it. Like yeah. <laughs> for sure. You have to feed it some and really good shit all the
1: time. For sure. And I think that, you know, just to make sure that we're staying pretty grounded here for the grand majority of people, there is probably going to be some sort of like biological trigger to the initial pain. Mm. Like it is probably going to be have some sort of like increase in activity or, you know, that just, so what we say is that, you know, you can break down, um, how you like overload your system into like an acute overload, which is what we call all all of our acute injuries. You know, you have a fall, you, you know, a 30, 300 pound linebacker just barreled into your knee. Right. Um, Those are all of our acute injuries, car accidents. Then you have kind of your cumulative overload, what we call our overuse injuries. And you can say you were doing um, too much too soon or too hard for too long. So you kind of just, that person who just literally just ran their recovery into the ground, Mm -hmm. okay? So that could be the thing that is of where, when somebody is like chronically stressed and they're just not sleeping well, they're not eating well and they're traveling a lot, and then they're still trying to maybe work out as hard as they always have and then they start feeling that ache and they're like, Yeah, nothing really has changed And it's like, yeah, but you've literally been going you've been feel you've been feeling like fatigued for the last two months and you just kept going without resting and here we are today. So I think that there is for the grand majority of people going to be some sort of like biological load factor that comes into it. And then I think the mind is a magnet is a magnifier of that. Mm. Right. And so the 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 mind can dial things up, dial things down very easily, you know, depending on how you perceive. Mm -hmm.
0: And how do you what, what are your thoughts on the term
1: overtraining? Um. It's probably not going to happen for the like everyday person going to the gym. So, overtraining is a actual like diagnosable condition. And typically, you're going to need to like two months off or of light work in order to come back from that. Most people are, whenever they talk about overtraining, are actually just overreaching. So, different terms. Overreaching is where you are feeling fatigued and you're seeing a bit of a performance decrease right and then we can say is it functional or non-functional overreaching so a functional overreaching is you're feeling fatigued you've overloaded the system so your performance is down maybe you just like you feel slower you feel more sluggish whatever but then you deload or you take a lighter session or something and then all of a sudden your performance is going to spike up okay it's because the body's going to recover adapt to that stressor and all of a sudden, you're going to be really, really good. We actually can use that to our advantage. Non-functional would be I'm just going to continue to run myself hard, 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 to where if I'm not if I'm not making progress, I should just go harder. If I'm not then making progress, I'm just going to go harder. And this is boom. something
2: you see with elite athletes potentially, as opposed to the
1: layman. You can see this one in anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, overtraining is that's the one that you might see in like an elite athlete who has to do two a days on the field and then has to hit weights and then has to prepare for games and you know, is mm-hmm. having to do this over the course of an eight month season, you know, and they're having to really go all the time. You might see it pop. You might see that pop up in them, mm-hmm. but the average person is not going to be stressing their body hard enough via physical activity in order to set that in.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. and is the, f- the the functional overtraining are you are you talk tiptoe around kind of a super compensation yeah that's exactly what it is yeah yeah okay, yeah cool.
1: so in a super compensation to get basically to receive the super compensation effect you have to overload the system to the point that you're carrying some fatigue through and that you do need to reach that point where things feel a bit sluggish things feel a bit heavy you know, you don't quite feel at a hundred percent, yeah. And that's when we should be kind of like deloading down, so that we come back stronger.
0: Yeah, yeah, cool. So then, what would you, what language would you use, or what would you say to somebody who's uh, like a full time worker, but also high level, kind of weekend warrior athlete, like a cyclist or a triathlete, who's who is presenting with this this mindset of perhaps I am overtraining?
1: I would be asking them. So I'd be asking them first, like we try and dive into it of, okay, you're not progressing, right? So you're, you're not progressing, that's our objective marker. Like you're n- not seeing improvements in your runs or your weights or whatever you're doing. You're not seeing improvements in your performance on your sports. And then we ask, how do you feel? So we need to put those two together. So if you're not pro- if you're not improving and you're feeling like crap, then you're probably in that state where you know taking a bit of a break taking a bit of a rest and improving the recovery would be the best option Mm. on the flip side of that you're not improving and you feel great i feel wonderful maybe you you probably just need to work harder yeah (laughs) like you probably like you you probably because there is a minimum stimulus that's going to be needed yeah and and some people are just going to adapt to where Some people are just going to continue to adapt to where the point that whatever you're doing is no longer enough and you're going to have to do more. Yeah. So, you know, we have the two personality types of no pain, no gain. Who's the person who's just going to just dig their hole, dig their hole. And then you have the person who is will never push themselves hard enough to actually get stronger. Mm -hmm. And either end of that can be a problem. Mm hmm. Right, We're trying to find that sweet middle ground of, I understand that this is supposed to be hard. I understand that I'm supposed to feel a little bit fatigued every now and again. But I also understand I'm supposed to rest. Right?
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. So I want to ask you one thing. I've seen it on your finger all weekend. (laughs) Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about this ring because I've seen one before.
2: I have just... Like, gone from one topic to another. <laughs> that's we're here, right? Amazing.
1: Uh, this is a koala ring. So, it's just a silicone ring. Nothing special about it at all, uh, honestly. I know that there's some coming out, I think, that have, like, like heartbeats. Oh, it's heart not a biometric No, there's no biometrics uh, in it. That's it's literally a silicone ring. Um, but, funny story. So, I got this, like, super nice ring whenever um, my wife and I got married. So, it was this, like, uh, patina copper and deer antler ring oh, like wow. just beautiful ring but like working with patients it would like scratch them oh. <laughs> so and and i just didn't want it to get i didn't want it to get ruined i didn't want them to like getting getting scratch marks and stuff on them so my wife and i both got these uh-huh. rings and i just tr- as what i travel with i always leave the nice one at home and everything like that mm-hmm. and actually actually haven't worn the nice one in so long now <laughs> uh not b- because this is just here but yeah th- there's nothing special about it. so the this. reason why
0: i asked is because there's there's these biometric rings so you know like a fitbit will record all of your mm-hmm. data well there's mm-hmm. rings now that look like exactly the- like that and it's measuring everything heart rate recovery oh, wow. this is what i was i was gonna ask you about but if, if it's not That's not what it
1: is. (laughs) Mm. But, you know, like, you can get... But I think that having those things are pretty cool, though. Like, having things to, like, track your steps and Mm. stuff like that. I mean, as much as, like, probably, like, the calorie counts and stuff like that are probably pretty inaccurate. They can be a good baseline measure for you to, like, measure one versus another. You know, whether it's saying that they're accurate or not. Um, That stuff's pretty cool to have. Do you use any? I used to. Uh, Before Fitbit actually came out, you... I, I was probably into like the very first ones. So it used to be like this, like strap that you would like wear around your tricep, <laughs> like, and you could, and you could very see Very cool. It. Yeah. Super cool. Right. And, and this wasn't long ago. This technology has really come along yeah. very quickly. This was, this is back when I was in Cairo school. Mm-hmm. So that was 2011. So they, yeah, I have one of those that would kind of like track calories, your calorie output. And I would use that to like track my calorie in whenever I track my calorie input and my fitness pal and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I've had all that. I now have, I mean, now I just kind of like have the step counter on yeah. my phone. That. Mm-hmm. It's I like, like that. my measure of daily activity mm-hmm. of, you know, I try and be somewhere between like seven, 10,000 a day to make sure I'm not just sitting at my computer all day. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that's about all I use now
0: one thing you just reminded me of when you mentioned the Cairo school and you can maybe link it if not over the weekend we spoke about the ritual of therapy Mm. and the ritualist the ritualism of of and you had an interesting story about how you call your next patient into the room
1: yes so so the therapeutic ritual so we we i do a huge section of the course on the contextual effects of treatment Mm -hmm. and all these I and mean, so we call them non-specific effects and so the different features that go into things so like his personality type plays into how he responds to a treatment my personality type plays into how he responds to a treatment our relationship you know if he thinks i'm the world's largest asshole he's not going to respond well to my treatment uh versus like if he <laughs> Thinks that oh, are you yeah. laughing so
0: much?
2: <laughs> no because I agree with you yeah, and actually there's a lot of studies that say that if if doctors spend five more minutes more with their patients, their patients have these massively um, positive outcomes and it they tested all of this. I don't remember the studies properly, but it w- it was literally time. it was time and
1: So interesting one now uh, this one just came out was patients after surgery. Got put into two groups. One got an automated text service, mm-hmm. and I mean, this is like it's a robot texting them from the surgeon's and you know from the surgeon's office. And the other group got nothing. The group that got the automated text ser- uh, service, they said they felt their surgeon was encouraging them more through their through their rehab. They felt that they um, were more adherent to their exercise they felt better and got and had better outcomes than the group wow. that didn't. And this is just a robot texting them to say stuff, just to say stuff like, hey, hey, pain two days after surgery is pretty normal. Don't, don't freak out if you feel that like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause I have been feeling that. So now I have clarity. Wow. That kind of stuff. Wow. Yeah. Like it just is, it's like a control factor, right? Mm-hmm. So like, that's how easy It can be to implement some stuff. It's like basic caring nature um, Mm. helps. But also stuff like, you know, when a patient feels like their doctor cares for them, they get better outcomes. Mm. So back to therapeutic ritual. (laughs) So back to therapeutic ritual. Um, So treatment effect. So we see that when a treatment is like seen as more like cutting edge or it's new, it's a branded technique over a generic technique, it's thought to work better and it gets better outcomes via higher what we call placebo effect or contextual effect so think about like your off-brand medication versus your brand name medication um, over-the-counter right you look at the ingredients they're exactly the same Mm. but people still buy the brand one thinking it works better so whenever I approach a patient we're going out to get a patient then we might have like an iPad in our hand we just walk out with the iPad, whether the screen's on or not. And you should look down there and you look at the patients and you look down and then you call the patient's name. It looks like you're like, I'm ready to, you know, hey, John, I'm re- really can't wait to help you out with your shoulder today. Like, come on back, mm-hmm. you know, and the, you know, cause maybe you looked at their file an hour ago because everything's online now. We have all these electronic health records to where, you know, you don't necessarily need full paper file to walk out with for a patient so maybe we walk out with just a file of blank paper open it up look down at it look up call that patient's name yeah and just like say like hey can't wait to work with you today i'm dr harden um Mm -hmm. because what it does is it just sets this thought of like oh they looked over my stuff Mm. versus they didn't see me look over their stuff an hour ago yeah and just like come in they don't know right now they're like, oh, look, he has my file. He has my stuff. And he's like, you know, he's going to, he's helping me. You mm-hmm. know, like he cares. They actually, and it sets you off on that right foot. Mm-hmm. So that's part of that doctor-patient relationship. Um, where ritual comes into it is it's the show that goes into the treatment. So think about that arthroscopic, sur- think about surgery, right? Surgery has a huge ritual to it. You're given you're, you're given you know your anesthesia, you're put in, you know um, you have you're gowned up, you have the nurses, you have the surgeons, everybody's having to wash in. Like there's a lot that goes on mm-hmm. for surgery. It's a huge ritual. And so that is makes you think, oh, something definitely happened. <laughs> something definitely happened, something definitely must have changed with this. So, from a chiropractic perspective, we see a lot of patients that whenever, have you ever been adjusted? Mm hmm. Okay.
2: Lots. I love it.
1: <laughs> so, have you ever been, a, you, have you ever had the chiro adjust you and then you didn't hear the sound?
2: Yeah.
1: It doesn't feel as good, does it? No,
2: at all, actually. It works the exact same. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know sometimes when she does my jaw, she puts on a little glove and puts her hand in and just like massages stuff. And mm-hmm. I'm like, ugh. This is nothing yeah. Go yeah. somewhere else Like do my neck please
1: Right <laughs> So We see this all the time though Is that whenever you So the adjustment Is not us moving bones We don't move bones at all mm-hmm. The You know We provide a little like Rapid stretch To everything around it. it Stimulates a bunch of Mechanoreceptors There And it's all like A neurological Effect Basically So And the sound Is just From that stretch A little gas Leaves the joint And you hear the Bop Mm -hmm. so all that happens whether you hear it or not but when you hear it it feels better
2: yeah instantly yeah (laughs) like sometimes I get like my um thoracic spine adjusted Mm -hmm. and when the whole thing goes yeah yeah. I'm just like I feel release yeah, yeah release sure. total release well, this oh is my god is that a placebo <laughs> <laughs> no
1: I don't want to kill the placebo for <laughs> you, you. it obviously still feels good and well it still feels so, good so yeah. here's the interesting part though you can know it's a placebo and it can still work for you
2: amazing I love it i like can yeah. I it I, like, I, could,
1: I, could, I could come over there and adjust <laughs> your neck right now you know it and it would probably still feel better to you if you mm-hmm. heard the sound versus not hearing the sound mm-hmm okay like it just works that way in Mm -hmm. some cases so and that's where we see things like sometimes like in a lot of studies chiropractic adjustments don't outperform placebo okay because a lot of it is very contextual Mm. so we need to think about that in terms of what are these what all actually goes into the treatment you're performing so, so
2: are you doing a lot of little placebo effects and magic tricks and stuff? Well, I'm, some some I'm just of it, kidding. S- some <laughs> of
1: it is. I mean, some of it is. So it's, and it happens in exercise. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, exercise is certainly not, you know, uh, immune to this. Yeah. To where if I tell, if we're having you do a lunge, you know, mm-hmm. and we say, hey, try keeping your knee back more of a vertical shin, that's going to load your hip more and it's going to take stress off your knee. That's a, pl- that's partly a placebo effect. Mm-hmm. Now it is biologically less, Mm -hmm. biomechanically less stress on the knee, but I have started to condition you to believe that it's less stress on your knee, therefore should not hurt as much.
2: Is that um, memetics? Have you ever heard that term? So I read a book a very, very long time ago, and it was talking about the study of spreading an idea from one person to the other, and they called it the study of memetics, like a meme, and it was sometimes that idea can be a positive idea, or it can be a negative idea, and the negative ones, he akin to being like a virus, so I can give you something, an idea, and it can be true or not true, and you can continue to spread that idea. We call that nocebo. Ah. Placebo
1: and nocebo. Nocebo is a negative is basically a negative effect placebo. Mm-hmm. So whenever we so it's interesting, like if if I were to tell you keep your knee back, that's gonna be that's gonna be a lot more stress on your knee. That might it's likely to hurt if we do that, I might be able to override the biomechanical effect. Mm-hmm. And make, it, and make that hurt even though it's less mechanical str- less Just Just stress. like when
2: people leave a doctor's office and they say, oh, you can never do a squat or you can never do Boom. a deadlift or you should never run.
1: That's bad for your back. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's nocebo. Got it. Mm-hmm. Telling someone, oh, all your pain is just because you're weak. All your pain is just because you have that leg length difference or your your feet are flat or yada, 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 yada. Knees
0: above the toes. Knees behind mm-hmm. your toes.
1: Yeah. yeah. All that stuff is kind of a nocebic response not to everyone, but to some people it will be to say Damn it. Like I have flat feet Do I yeah, do I have foot pain? Should I have foot pain? Should I run that marathon? Mm -hmm. I don't know if I should run that 5k like I don't know what I should do now, right? And Mm so then once they do it as I said like I Think there is for most people gonna be that biological trigger, right? I think that if they Maybe that they won't just feel pain because they have flat feet and they were told people flat feet get foot pain, but if they then went and increased their activity, maybe they don't have as much wiggle room to increase their activity without feeling pain mm. because of the psychological magnifier that we put in their brain
2: yeah um, I loved I, what you said before, the metaphor of the mind being the magnifier or the diminisher of something. I really like that just went ding in my mind. Um, yeah,
1: it resonates it it's amazing, you know what can happen. And we see extreme cases of it, obviously, where people can you know severely magnify or diminish how they feel, you know, and a lot of times it might be just. Maybe, you know, two, three points on a pain scale, but that's significant for somebody, you mm-hmm. know, and it I think it goes beyond just how you feel. It goes into how stressed are you? What's the anxiety levels like around it? Like it's going to have more repercussion beyond just like, yeah, like my, my knee pain's still there, but I'm more chill about that, you know, and that's a good thing too.
2: Mm.
0: Cool. Well, um, We really appreciate you coming on.
2: I know. There were so many like little nuggets of gold for me. I think one of the the main things that hopefully people can take away from this is really like learning and understanding their own process and being able to kind of understand, okay, this might – I'm not going to be attached to this. This might not just be like my pain here because I have a back problem. It could be so many other facets. And if people walk away at least – Acknowledging those things and then being able to address, oh, maybe I need to be less stressed or, or eat better or some other facet um, and they could get better and diminish their pain, then amazing.
1: Yeah, I think if we s- take a very, try and just t- try and take a very reasonable approach to most things of don't do too much too soon. Don't run yourself into the ground, right? That's like the number one things that you can do to just kind of just stay healthy, right? Uh, make sure you're sleeping, eating, all that stuff like we should be but then realize pain is normal Like we're all gonna feel it like pain's just part of a human experience mm-hmm. Right. It's it's not bad. It's just there. It's just part of it So don't freak out about it Whenever you have it treat more of your pain like a paper cut Like try and find some clarity there and even if you don't necessarily have clarity trust in the process of If I just kind of just, you know, maybe back off of things that hurt me right now, maybe modify my activities a little bit so that I'm not, you know, pushing myself into that pain trigger all the time, but then just kind of gradually work my way backwards. It doesn't mean that I have to necessarily limit myself from any crazy because I'm not breaking my back, right? I'm super resilient. I'm super adaptive. I'm super strong, right? That I am a human being. And if, you know a little thing like a disc bulge could end the human race we wouldn't have made it this far yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. like we wouldn't be here so i tell people all the time if
0: that if you think that like bring your leg across your body in a stretch is is bad for your back (laughs) if you think you can your body is so like feeble it's not the case. we're way more robust than people give
1: ourselves credit for yeah how uh, how, we just wouldn't have made it here
2: Mm, at all especially like with natural selection earth would have gone see ya yeah
1: you're done yeah Yeah. you're done
2: over (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah, You're much stronger than you think you are and just realize that you're not as broken as you think you are either. Mm -hmm. So keep that mindset towards it of acknowledging where you are at and, but just not hanging on it as a crutch for why you can't move forward. Realize that you can acknowledge where you're at and you can be injured and you can acknowledge your injury and still say, I can move forward off of this to where I want to go. And then you're just going to buy into the next baby step in front of you, no matter how small that is.
2: Mm -hmm. I also think as well, um, helping people understand, well, this helped me. So maybe it might help others um, that whatever it is that's happening can also be something that you learn from and that you can uh, use that to move to the next place because you have that like little nugget of knowledge um, and that, can actually be a stepping stone in itself. For sure. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm.
0: Cool. Well, look, we won't take up any more of your time. Really appreciate you you taking time to come and speak to us. Well, thank you guys. It's an absolute pleasure to to find you. you are one of my idols online. So it's it's an
2: yeah, honor. Yeah, he's to actually be. not lying. He's like <laughs> he
1: really does. I, really I don't. Hear <laughs> he's
2: been awesome. stalking you for years. Uh, yeah. yeah, guilty. Yeah, sit over here now.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Well, look, thanks a lot. Just uh, remind anybody who doesn't actually know where they
1: can find you online, how they can follow your stuff. So my name is Dr. Jacob Harden on just about every social outlet you can find. So you'll, my main one is Instagram, um, dr.jacob.harden. Uh, you'll see my bright smiling face there on my profile picture. Um, on Facebook as well, on YouTube, mm-hmm. and now right here with you guys on yeah. this podcast. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And then w- uh, where can people get
0: info on the Prehab 101 course?
1: Uh, so there it's Linktree slash Prehab 101. Okay, cool. And your next course is in Kuwait? Next course is in Kuwait. Then we're off to Australia for all of March. Coming- <gasps> yeah. I'm going
2: to be in Australia in March. When are you going to be there? in <laughs> Sydney. Yeah? Like on Friday. I'll be there on Friday. Nice. <laughs> How long are you staying? Till March the 3rd.
1: Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, so we'll be coming in on the sixth. Ah, oh, we'll shame.
2: Be, yeah, we'll miss each other. will just
1: miss mm-hmm. each Will
2: yeah. that be your first time in Australia? It yeah, will be. <gasps> You're gonna love it. Yeah. Oh.
1: I can't wait. I've been looking forward to this for a long time.
2: I know. I'm really happy for
1: you. Yeah. So we're gonna do Australia. Then we're going, um, coming back over what are the to the dates you? in Australia. You do um, Brisbane. We're there on the. It's very early in the month, it's like eighth, ninth, somewhere around in that time frame. Whatever that weekend is, mm-hmm. then we go to Sydney. Um, the next weekend we're actually doing two courses there then we'll go to Melbourne on the I think 25th 26th so come back we'll be in Canada off of that then go over to the UK and do London and Dublin again in May and then I'll be in the States for most
0: of the year after that
1: so I'm kind of getting all my international stuff early
0: awesome well I definitely recommend everybody in those Mm -hmm. cities get yourself on that course because you're going to learn a huge amount Mm -hmm. Um, if if yeah Mindset, psychology, <laughs> practical exercises. It's fantastic. Really, really great course. Um, so, thanks a lot again. Mm-hmm. And uh, next time you're in Dubai, be sure to give us a shout. I'll I'll yeah. We'll catch up with you then. For sure. All right, thanks. Cheers, so sure. guys. Bye, guys.